0: The stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. Big time stuff. I like the big time, big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had. Today, we're really excited to bring you Harrison Ford to our podcast, Market Meditations. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, this podcast's goal is to become better human beings so we can also become better investors. We typically talk a lot about the market. It's hosted by myself, Neil Modi, and Chris Eidel. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Um, and, and actually, it's not quite Harrison Ford we have. It's, it's Josh Gens, which I'm more excited Much about. Better choice. He's oftentimes confused. Yeah, he's oftentimes confused as Harrison Ford. He's the, he's the Harrison Ford of <laughs> economics, easy. really. He that's, um. That's exactly right. That's exactly He's a right.
1: professor. Well, he's definitely <laughs> an intrepid explorer.
0: <laughs> he's a professor of economics at the University of Toronto, and regularly uh, stars as a, uh, you know, as an expert witness, actually in economics, which I did not know was a that's thing true. until I I met him. Um, the thing I appreciate most about Josh is every one of our conversations leave me wanting more. And in fact, uh, before we were starting the episode, I was trying to convince him to uh, help me kick out my neighbor and he could move next door to me. Um, I hope my neighbor doesn't listen to my podcast,
2: I um, assume but, listening uh, in right but now. Josh
0: should be phenomenal to live next door. Yes. <laughs> 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 um, on our last episode, I, you know, I was, talking about how Josh really um, ought to rebrand himself as, as you know part of the Mythbusters crew because we talked about big data and why it matters, and he, he quickly told us it was just all about statistics. Um, we expect Josh to debunk lots of myths again today as he talks about his new book. Josh, welcome to the
2: podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> well,
1: well, Josh... You started to put this book together rather quickly. And I wanted to ask what, uh, again, what drove you? Hey tell (laughs) Sam with a book. Wait, wait, wait. Tell Sam with a book in
0: every first, Josh. Give a small intro of yourself. That's better than (laughs) my Harrison Ford one. Then you can launch into Inquisition mode, Let's do something
2: important first, uh, because Chris talks about the book. But it's very important for me that anyone listening to this few minutes in, uh, knows that the book's title is Economics in the Age of COVID-19, so you know where to find it,
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I'm here to sell that. And
0: we'll put it in the show notes for you (laughs) as well.
1: Yes, and Economics in the Age of COVID-19 was clearly conceived (laughs) under the duress of COVID-19, and uh, Josh... Tell me what was your impetus for doing this and and really for doing it so quickly so the book was published
2: uh you know april uh twenty first uh so just a few days ago uh some people on Twitter seem to claim that I had only done it because I'd foreseen this entire crisis in January and started working then except that, no I believe. No. It. No, I didn't do that at all. I I, 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 I started to get panicky about this crisis around the end of February, um, but I still ended up traveling for a conference or something like that, so I wasn't that panicky about it. Um, But then uh, eventually uh, around uh, the middle of March, um, everything started to close down and I decided not to go into work anymore. And after about a week of sitting at home and basically all I was doing, I had, I had hoped to do what anyone would do. I wanted to catch up on Netflix and HBO and stuff, uh, but I didn't do any of that. I was mm-hmm. just obsessing over the data and the numbers, <laughs> and reading about, uh, you know, infection rates and then reading about epidemiology and things like that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. for no reason. I mean, I, I didn't, I, um, I didn't have anything, uh, any particular interest in this subject before. Uh, so I was doing that for about a week, uh, when I realized that I'm clearly not going to get anything else done. And so I decided to do what I do best, which is, uh, write a book. Um, and the, uh, goal that I set myself was I wanted to, uh, write a, uh, 30,000 word book in, uh, 10 days um just to just to give myself a discipline um, uh, to be able to learn some of the stuff going on. Uh, and uh, I needed to get it published as well and it needed to be published quickly. Obviously I could have self-published it, but then um, you know that 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 doesn't work so well. Uh, so I was fortunate hmm. that MIT Press, who had published a couple of my previous books, uh, decided that you know uh, that this would be a good, opportunity for them to see if they could publish something in a timely manner and so basically uh you know a month and a little bit after i'd actually conceived of this idea the book was published uh and it was 40,000 words rather than 30,000 words uh and um and i i'm still going to have to update it <laughs> and there's going to be an updated uh-huh. edition in uh, november as well so it's a bit of an ongoing project but Really, my goal was uh, to try and just sort out all these economic issues that were just flying at us um, during this time Mm. of uh, just unprecedented crisis. And, uh, you know, uh, the book has has eight chapters in it. And when I started writing, the world was trying to grapple with the issues in chapter two. (laughs) By the time uh, it was Mm. published we were we were uh, grappling with the issues of chapter chapter 5 <laughs> and so i think we're sort of mm-hmm. slowly getting getting through the book as we deal with stuff so it's mm-hmm. been quite an interesting uh, time that's for sure
1: yeah josh i'd have to say i've been fortunate enough to read the book and um i can understand why you've received that uh, veiled criticism that you'd been working on it for a while. It's a pretty thorough going analysis, or at least look at the various problems that emanate from this crisis. So, um, thank you for tackling that. And I would, yeah, I, I, I should, uh, I
2: should say actually I was, I was aided by something I didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And that is, I wasn't the only, uh, you know, academic economist to be sitting at home wondering what they should be doing. Uh, it, it is quite extraordinary, but um, so many economists around the world suddenly decided to drop everything and try to research one aspect or another of this crisis. And so the other wow. stunning thing about this uh, book, you know, I thought I'd just apply economic principles, textbook, you know, what are the trade-offs, blah, blah, blah. But maybe 80% of the citations are to papers that were written uh, while I was writing the book. <laughs> uh, uh oh. it, it is extremely timely in fact the book contains citations to papers that were released late last week so it's really been uh and that you know that that forced me to integrate a lot more uh, things and it, it allowed me because people had insights allowed me to really uh explore these issues far more richly than I had initially intended
1: huh so now in addition to the rapid spread of COVID and everything traveling at warp speed, we now have published yeah. uh, You're running a parallel experiment. <laughs> that, I wasn't um, the first. I should, I should
2: add, you know, I, I, I said to my children, I said, ah, yeah, no, the book was published. It's the first book on COVID-19. And of course, I saw at least yeah, 20 or yeah. 25. No, you you go youth. into Amazon, you type COVID-19. Um, and, and 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 it's quite an interesting set of stuff that comes up there. I mean, basically, mm-hmm. I was nowhere near first on a book on COVID-19. Uh, you know, I think I think there's a... Yeah, but most
0: of that stuff looked like junk, just to just throw that wow, out. I, I, know I flipped is... through a bunch of the intros of those books, it's, and it's... I was not... Wow. You,
2: you were wow, wow by the by the. There were some very interesting ones. There was uh, there was there was ones out there in the in the romance uh, category that really seemed to to oh. pile on there. So you know I I, I don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we could do the review show on the other books later,
2: Josh. People people do fly into it. Make friends with COVID nineteen. Little Miller's fairy tale. I mean, come on. <laughs> um. <laughs> love under quarantine
1: that's a picture book I think uh, I've seen that
2: actually, actually it's not out yet only May 5th oh come on
1: we, 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 get, we get released copies
0: of lots of things early
2: <laughs> <laughs> COVID poetry poetry and lyrics in the COVID era <laughs> all right so anyway so it wasn't you know but but at least the the marketing people at MIT press said it was the uh first uh by by uh, mainstream publishers and I think well, I'll take that
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah Josh start to take us through some of your conclusions like right you're obviously you know we spend a lot of time on this uh podcast talking about um some some of the conclusions that Chris has on the broader market, and occasionally we take some bets for a charity um, related to that. But well, you know, if you start to share, you know, because there's yeah. a bunch of different categories, we'd love to hear about them and maybe start with the broader. And then I, I
2: promise Chris
0: will disagree with
2: you everywhere he disagrees. Um, it's, oh. it's so it's kind of interesting. So let me let me let me hone in on the sorts of themes that um, have come up in this podcast before. Which is really this, you know, what are the what does the entrepreneurial opportunities or innovative opportunities look like from the coronavirus? And, you know, that's that's you know, that's a bit more my my bread and butter thinking about those issues. And in, in what there's one mm-hmm. chapter, a uh, later chapter, chapter seven, about rallying innovation. And most of that was to do with uh, you know how are we going to get vaccines and treatments uh you know the sort of top order issues uh, which are still issues but fortunately you know there are a lot of people pushing towards it uh, in in uh, for this particular virus it still looks like it's going to be 12 to 18 months before we get a get a vaccine but uh, at the very least you know people have jumped to action on that but there's this secondary set of economic issues. And and we, uh, you know, I'm a chief economist of the Creative Destruction Lab. And, and Neil, you're, you're you're a member of that too. Um, and one of the things that they did uh, over the last uh, month or so is decide to launch a, uh, a new stream, uh, quite accelerated, all online and virtual as everything has to be, which is to uh, offer advice, mentorship, uh, advice on bringing to scale to companies dealing with various aspects of uh, the, the pandemic. Uh, and it's called CDL Recovery. And it's got two aspects. One is public health, trying to uh, bring about innovations that will directly improve health. And the other is on economic recovery, which is, you know, we, we have this public health crisis, and we now have Related to that, of course, the economic crisis. And so uh, the idea of CDL recovery is to sort of uh, promote startups and others, actually, uh, in being able to innovate very quickly and to try and do something in the next six to 12 months uh, that can help, that can help. And so in the process of trying to think about that um, new experiment going on and for all we know i mean who knows how many people we know there's a lot of enthusiasm of people wanting to help innovate uh how many good solid ideas we'll get uh it's always hard to tell um but i sort of think of them in in terms of you know moving away from the strictly public health stuff i see the innovations as falling into two categories. And and the way you think about those categories is by stepping back a moment and looking at the predicament we're in. So we currently have, there are activities in the economy, things that people do. <laughs> and it used to be you were free to do all of them. <laughs> and then the pandemic comes in and either you don't want to, or the government is stopping you from doing a whole host of those activities. So you can imagine there are two buckets there's a bucket number one is the stuff you're allowed to do. And bucket number two is the stuff you're restricted from doing. As we come out of this, what we want to do is we want to obviously relieve move stuff from bucket number two, the restriction bucket to the unrestricted bucket. So one set of innovations that you can imagine are things that make it possible to do that, to, to make that movement, something unrestricted becomes... something restricted becomes unrestricted. And we have to ask ourselves, why is something restricted in the first place? It's restricted in the first place because it involves somebody going out somewhere and potentially infecting a lot of people. And so we shut down schools. They're a cesspool. No one trusted children to be able to wash their hands uh <laughs> that wasn't Maybe. gonna happen you know <laughs> <laughs> they were definitely gonna spread the vice we 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 know that you know uh offices and uh, and other things like that were were also hives for these we know that the large events were problems in this regard of course but we really shut a lot down restaurants uh confined space where people are are sitting and and burping and whatever, for many hours and things like that. So we have, to, we have to shut all that down. So what we want to do is we want to move activities out of there. And so one set of innovations is how do we make those activities that are currently ones we want to lock down safe to come out and to come out in a persistent way? Um, and uh, that takes a lot of innovation. I mean, you just think about the schools problem. The school's problem is is going to require some sort of intensive monitoring of skilled children. It's going to require some uh, maybe some redesign of how how classes are uh, taught or where they're taught and things like that. I can't you can't begin. It becomes overwhelming when you start to think about it. But you know, but there's opportunities there to be able to move those things across. You know, workplaces uh, if they work out how to uh, uh, have proper protection. Uh, we'll be able to be uh, safe and open up again. Uh, There are innovations that need to happen there. So I think that's one set of ones. Making activities that are currently considered unsafe, make them safe. The second is a set of activities, uh, is to do, well, what if you can't do that? How do we make life more comfortable? How do we enhance the economic value of the activities that are restricted? Um, so we currently have to work from home. Uh, so everybody has has celebrated Zoom as a great example of an activity, as something that exists. Uh, everybody knows that if this had been COVID-99, boy, would we have been screwed. COVID-99 would have been terrible, uh, you know, in terms of what we were able to do. And we're in a position in the economy where, where a third uh, of people to varying degrees, can still conduct their work at home. Um, it's a it's a, it's a it's a miracle that we should celebrate, but we can probably do more. We can probably do more on that front, and so there's a whole set of innovations coming in there. And so basically, those are the two broad classes of opportunities that are available now. Uh, and uh, once you realise which class you're in, you know how to sort of define your market and start focusing things. So it's actually fairly convenient um but that's that 's the way i see it i don 't know what your
1: your opinions are on that well i uh, i thank you josh that's fantastic i I was looking too at um some of the suggestions that you had made um you know at the tail end of um your book very thoughtfully about the uh global pandemic response mm-hmm. unit um, and some more of the public policy issues and i didn 't know if um you could comment on that. And um, you sort of uh, talked, I guess, about these higher level uh, possible structures. Yes. Um, but I didn't notice if you had, uh, I didn't see any comment really on on stimulus or a sort of Main Street Marshall plan, or if that even is advisable. Well, and I'd like to yeah. get no, on, no, you,
2: I, you, you are what? right. I, I so so well. There's a couple of ways. I mean, it's it's nice to find it, historic analogies with regard mm-hmm. to the sort of economic crisis we're currently in. People will think about stimulus. Uh, you know, to be to be clear, uh, everybody is, is 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 kind of making this up as they go along. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the no. thing is actually, you know, with the regard to, you know, like the... You say kind of. You say kind of. Yeah. Well, so no, no. Are I mean, completely making it up? I, I don't think we've ever had such big numbers being spent. No. On short-term um, things without any real consideration of what, you know long-term investments and other outcomes should look like um that's worldwide i mean everybody's like uh, been doing this and so the, you know regardless of whether you had a lockdown or not everybody's had to have some sort of plan to make sure that people don't lose their jobs and businesses don't go under because what you want to have happen is is when this is over you want people to just pick up and say and go back to whatever they were doing previously because there was nothing wrong with what was happening previously. (laughs) And so we're just trying to work out how to do that, you know, uh, given that the economy is set up to viciously punish people who don't pay. Um, We didn't want that to happen. So all the money at the moment has been thrown at that activity. Um, And a whole lot of it will be repaid for the same reason, because people will turn out they don't need it and stuff like that, and or they'll have the ability to repay it later on. Um, And so it's just like uh, some of the stuff we saw in 2008 financial crisis. But there is this other uh, issue is that uh, we don't want to do this again uh, in the same way. And I see the way I see it in the book is that all of this stuff, the lockdown the really big economic crisis that was caused by that, etc., was all because we stuffed up first time round. We stuffed up in January, February. Um, we didn't get on this quickly enough, um, and in particular, we didn't. We weren't South Korea. We didn't have in place a thoughtful testing regime and contact tracing regime to be able to target. And you know, basically on the ground, quash the infections.
0: Well, that's partly because we don't have a unification issue with Canada and the United States.
2: Well, that's that's partly it. Um, but there's, but the, I think that this is fairly worldwide. I mean, really, only only uh, you know Taiwan and South Korea were the only ones who really got onto this, um, and they did so because they already had SARS, and I think. You know I have read about it because I didn't have to experience it, but SARS was pretty frightening. <laughs> SARS mm-hmm. did have that lockdown, mm-hmm. right? SARS uh, you know had a ten percent fatality rate <laughs> amongst all people mm-hmm. yeah. so it was it was a it was, a, it was a quite an experience. so they had that. Um, China had that too, uh, but for various reasons, uh, let it get beyond, although when you think about it, they did pretty darn well to keep that contained. Uh, for their purposes, too. Um, But so all we've been trying to do with these lockdowns, et cetera, is get us back to the rates of infection that would allow us to do what South Korea does, and that is to have testing and tracing. Now, the problem with that is we're not using the lockdown in any of these countries to do that properly enough. Uh there's been some moves on contact tracing, Apple and Google and, and others are providing things, but you know, well that's gonna be the health authorities gotta get it together. And even if we think miraculously about how quickly, you know, apps can be released and what have you, it's a pretty daunting task. Um so uh
1: you know, we're really behind in that regard. And so yeah. But Josh, may I ask? I think you know one of the things that sort of contradicts the suggestion of Neil about the lack of coordination seems to be the case of Germany, where things are decentralized. There's no central NIH or CDC well, no, or anything. Well, Each you don't need that.
2: centralization. You just have to have a plan. So German, right. look, Germany had right. Germany had a plan, and also I think we're discovering is that they understood better um, when to be testing people. So. Uh-huh. In other words, so the the issue with this virus, and I'm not an epidemiologist, so I, I hope I'm getting this right, is you you become infected. There's three to five days, maybe the whole lot, where you don't show any symptoms, and then uh, you start to sh- you might start to show symptoms, and then it might get really bad. And when it gets really bad, that's when we were putting people into hospitals, and when we were getting them tested. <laughs> In, in Canada and the US and, and other places as well. The problem I think uh-huh. we're discovering with that is that was too late. Because uh, this this virus when it trans when it when it moves into a major respiratory failure, you'd actually your your that's a pneumonia and it's not just a mild pneumonia. By the time it's got to that it's already bad pneumonia. And at that point You know, you can shove people on ventilators, you can do all sorts of things to them, but there's actually not much you can do. And so it's kind of been too late. Whereas in Germany, as I understand it, people were getting tested much earlier and getting monitored and having their blood oxygen levels monitored and other things much earlier so that they never got to these advanced stages of pneumonia. So uh, that allowed their their rate of death (laughs) to be vastly lower than anyone else and maybe that was unplanned maybe it was just part of the system they had or not whatever but it just shows how how difficult it is to to manage this there's just a you know the information flows were were very poor there, there's still i have a list of stuff we still don't know about this virus and it's it's a it's an extremely long list have you published <laughs> oh, that list by the way uh-huh. anywhere no, I haven't yet. I, I'm going to have to work out how to get it verified in case someone does know that it, it's stuff that I don't know. That I, haven't been able to see. I mean, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's on it. You, what's on it. Um, one: Are we immune? If you get the virus, are you immune? We don't know. Uh, will we mm-hmm. have low-cost testing? Anything that allows something to be tested quickly with a good, uh, reasonable amount of actu- accuracy. Three: Do children spread the virus? kind of important to know we don't know if they you (laughs) know they actually spread it i mean if they can go to school and they don't actually spread it for some reason that's that would be very useful to know we don't know what the mental health issues are here we don't know what the long-term damage of even having the coronavirus for with with mild symptoms is for your for for your lungs um we do not uh we don't know if we let this go how many would get sick We don't know if it's seasonal and not that it's actually seasonal, but if it's going to migrate around the world and came coming back all the time. And of course, we don't know uh, whether we're going to have a vaccine and we don't know if we try to get people to wear masks, whether they will or not. These are the kind of things. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff that we don't know. And each one of them is like critical for deciding what to do. So it's really quite disturbing in many ways, this pandemic shouldn't be thought of as a, Epidemiological problem or an economic problem, but an information problem. Uh, huh. The problem is the information. You know, pandemics aren't an issue if you know who's sick, right? You know who's sick. Right. You take him out. <laughs> he means quarantine. It's what you do? Just to be clear, yeah, yeah, you, 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 you go on old-style leper colony on those people. No, I mean, you know, don't have to. Do that. <laughs> well, I, Smoke yeah. a of yeah. Yeah. No, but but what i mean is is that's the problem the problem with this particular thing is is we we don't even know the base stuff and so testing is the obvious thing comes to mind if we could if you could test everybody tomorrow uh if everybody could walk every day do a test we know we'd have this licked right away because you could mm. just take up uh, your positives go isolate and you and we're mm-hmm. done um, so we really could, could manage it. We could manage it even if, 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 if people aren't immune, we'll be able to manuate, man, manage it if that was the case. We could, we could just wipe it out. So I I think, uh, I think we have to understand that this is this deeply information problem. And so that means that you don't actually need everybody to coordinate or have one central thing, et cetera. But the reason I mentioned the global pandemic response unit, was the information problem you know if i had my druthers and ignore for the fact that i don't know anything about international politics and, or, or anything, stuff <laughs> please like pontificate okay. a fair amount then i'm going to pontificate regards um why not <laughs> no i would you know i imagine a crack team a real crack team who the second there's a whiff of a virus anywhere in the world, they come in and they have authority to lock the place down, no matter what country it is and no matter who's taken out. Um, you know, like, no matter whose human rights are stomped over by that, basically, uh, is kind of what you have in your mind there. Um, and, you know, and, you know, this 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 emerged in, in Wuhan, uh, in China, uh, this particular uh, thing, you know, had... Uh, we rely on we relied on the local government in Wuhan to deal with it um, and they have a whole lot of conflicted incentives <laughs> in that regard but it's no, not just them no, no. you can imagine this too what about the mayor in jaws uh, he didn't handle things too well either right <laughs> because he had conflicted no, no. incentives it can happen anywhere people do that and I also remember just early on this crisis I'm like, I'll be I'll freely admit this I was sitting there um uh thinking about you know you, you were about to go through a border somewhere and they're going to ask you a question and what if you had a bit of a cough did you want to actually say as you're going through you had a bit of a cough i know it's uh, legality of course you should but you know <laughs> but, but no but, i've been mean, just just thinking about human nature i mean it, this people have conflicted incentives so you need this uh team you need this unit that can go in and do stuff and the who um you know has a lot of that charge of gathering the information but they have none of the authority to be able to go and do something and think of how much we would have saved in lives economy etc if this could have been nipped in the bud and and that's the kind of thing that we have to collectively decide to agree upon that we as a world are going to do So do you think that'll happen right.
0: now? Go ahead and pontificate more for us.
2: Well, well I'm you know no I don't know. That's not a, that's um, not a yes. No I don't. Just no honest. I don't think it's going to. I can you know uh, I uh, I uh, I uh, the the end of the book uh I'm sort of trying to speculate on that and and uh and uh And uh, I ended the book, uh, and my editor sort of said, "Well, this is a downer." I said, "I said, you know, things like the IMF and the United Nations were collective things we ended up doing uh, to respond to global crises of the past." And the thing I start thinking about that is, we needed two world wars to make that happen. (laughs) So the problem. So the next pandemic uh, should bring it about. Yeah, I mean one pandemic may not be enough. And and moreover, this is this is a pretty lucky pandemic. I mean <laughs> just think about
0: it. No,
2: No, yeah. no you just put
0: those words together by themselves.
2: Lucky pandemic. No, it is it is a lucky pandemic. So if you've watched the movie Contagion, it's not that. Okay. Okay. So right. it didn't take it didn't, you know, it didn't cause people to sort of like suddenly drop dead second they got infected the day later without any chance of of care it did it didn't affect the children imagine what we would be doing now if it had affected the children (laughs) right it would be a very very different uh uh set of events um and you know i know we like to talk about every life is equal etc etc but when i say how would have been with affected the children we know we feel differently about these things and not only that uh, the people who are risky feel differently about it too it's it's forged. it's kind of what makes us human right but those are the things um that could happen and there's no reason why this virus acted in the way it did there's no evolutionary reason why it was uh taking out the uh uh you know more more uh, risky for the elderly there's none at all i mean mm-hmm. it just,
1: the elderly in yeah, the inferno, right. i mean yeah. it
2: helps it because it means we are, uh, from an evolutionary point of view, not uh, reacting as strongly to stamp it out as we would have uh, if if it had uh, been more widespread. So it sort of helps it from an evolutionary point of view. The other thing that helps it from an evolutionary point of view is that same factor is precisely because it is uh, it is causing discord. Um, you know the the. A virus is going to be less successful if we take action to it. If it hits everybody equally, um, we're more likely to take action to it. If it hits one group more than others, uh, we get divided because the costs are more widely spread than the benefits of dealing with the virus. So, uh, you know, it has that property, but it easily could have gone uh, different ways. I mean, that's just, it's just happenstance and luck. So when you think about that, you know, I don't have confidence that everybody in, in, in two years' time when this is licked are going to sit back and say, well, now we now need to really do something about this and come together. I, I don't.
1: I, that doesn't seem well, like if we it. can't count on governments to do it, uh, Josh, maybe we can uh, incentivize Disney's Marvel Studios since they're idle. To give us a global pandemic I response know, I mean, <laughs> maybe life, the,
2: actually the, the analogy you're looking for uh is uh we're looking for um uh the thunderbirds
1: <laughs> we need <Right>. international <laughs> rescue
2: do you know that show do you remember the thunderbirds Yes, I do. The, uh yeah. animatronic uh, puppets uh i used to the love puppets, that show yeah. but basically this was a private organization um uh mm-hmm. and uh set up by a former astronaut who seem to be loaded, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and have access
2: to, to, to space te- f- faring technology of this kind that Elon Musk can only dream about. And, mm-hmm. and uh, would run around and basically handle situations. Um, mm-hmm. Now, they had to be called. <laughs> called in to do so. And my concern at the moment is in many respects with these pandemics we need something that has authority to come in and deal with stuff. And we have some of this within countries, within countries, there are some places of authority to come in and and deal with stuff. But we, we, -hmm. I think we need to have that expertise globally and monitoring and other things like that, I suspect. But I think that will be very hard to get an international agreement on. Um, Although some countries could sign up to it, but you know, as we know, the you know a virus can come through anyway, so you know. So who knows?
1: Yeah, and we can even see, of course, the domestic resistance in states. Oh yeah, like Michigan, Florida. I et mean, I
2: think, uh, I think, I think, I think. That, I mean, it's that's small and vocal and makes for good news. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but but I think there are a lot of people. I mean, I know. I it would be crazy to think that people aren't sitting there, sitting at home, thinking, you know, is this really worth it? Um, and it's a very, uh, and moreover, we don't hundred percent know whether it's worth it or not. We, because there was so much uncertainty. We don't really, really truly know if it's worth it. We just know that this was the safest thing to do now. And so I, I can imagine people are going to have all sorts of different views. I'm watching this. I've, the news in Australia, Australia managed to, to beat down this thing, uh, which is actually quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had more testing and stuff like that. Um, I sus- my, my toy hypothesis is the virus spreads indoors and not outdoors, and Australia was at the time outdoors (laughs) and so it didn't spread as much um that would be my guess but 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 they have and they're getting down to to almost zero cases same with new zealand and they haven't opened up those countries yet uh but they will Uh, they will start to do uh, there's huge pressure to do so and you can see this in the united Mm -hmm. states and i'm sure it'll happen here in canada as these numbers start to fall people are going to say when can we get out when can we go um and uh uh, yeah. That's going to be quite a bit of pressure, and um, I, I personally, if you, if if I, if I, if, I, if I had to speculate, is we're going to unlock, we're going to unlock slightly too early, and we're going to be all back in lockdown
1: in the fall. Yeah, yeah. You you think that that uh, speculation holds water? That we won't be as prepared in the fall and that we might have to suffer another I think lockdown. We, huh, I Judge? think
2: we will. And, and I actually, I worry that, that I really would prefer the messaging to be, if they do release the lockdown, it should be, okay, it's not we're done yet. It's you have a month or two to get your house in order, to make sure you've got the stuff you need to go back into a lockdown in the fall. You should be expecting it to occur. If you're a business, you should be setting yourself up to be, either, to be able to go remotely. Nobody's sort of saying, oh, I couldn't take my desktop home because it has a lease on it or something like that. Fix all that
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and, no. and, and be able to deal no. with it. Uh, so, I mean, I think I think those are the things that, and the schools have to be prepared for it too, um, you know, just watching mm-hmm. what they've been sort of grappling with and stuff like that. It's been very, very difficult. It's, committed. it's, been, it's been good in the circumstances, but not what you want to do. <laughs> Uh, in a repeated way. Yeah,
1: yeah. My my wife's a public school teacher, and um, just the reach of technology doesn't always extend to a lot of her students. It's I mean, a,
2: the only place in the world. Yeah. So Ontario signed a deal with Apple for twenty thousand iPads uh, to mm-hmm. uh, assist with this thing. Um, but I haven't heard very ma- much of that actually. There hasn't been very much of that going mm-hmm. on, and I think, I think, I think it sort of needs to ha- happen because. I don't think uh, we're going to have a lot of school years, and, and there's only so much we can, we can. Uh, uh, it's only so long you can do without. Look, if we miss, if miss half a term, it's not the end of the world for the kids' future. Blah blah blah. It's mostly about parental mental health. Um, mm-hmm. But but you know, if it goes on into the fall and who knows what sort of things. And moreover, we want schools to be empowered. We want schools. If there's an outbreak in a school, if there's someone tests, we want them to be able to shut that down right away and send everybody home. Well, that's going to be a problem. The parents are going to be pissed off if they don't have preparation Mm
1: -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks, Josh, for that. Uh, Look forward. (laughs) No, no, it's great. I, I also wanted to ask, you know, part of your global pandemic response unit idea I thought intriguing because you had it sort of broken down into the precedent like Bretton Woods, where, you know, we have this sort of supranational organization that uh, um, can be called into action like the Thunderbirds. But also the other part of that was a sort of Manhattan project, sort of innovation lab. Um, Just in your vision of that, would it be a coordinating organization? Because it seems we, of course, have, uh, these research labs spread out through, through yeah. the world.
2: I, I think, look, look. there's many different ways you could do that. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I've read in, in various places, and this is something I will want to explore more in the updated edition, is people talk about platforms for, uh, vaccines. So you know, rather than doing what we do with the flu every year and try to deal with whatever the strains they predict are going to be the bad ones, which is essentially what's going on, um, we have some mm-hmm. way of being uh, just better vaccines that deal with, uh, that, that that help people more. Um, that that would be the uh-huh. ba- basic thing. And so I don't know what's possible in that regard, but I do know we've we've not devoted nearly enough to that, given the cost of what we're facing. And so the explorations that we need to do in basic research uh, in medical science are just phenomenally much, much bigger than anybody ever appreciated. We have been really, really trying to do our research on, you know, these blockbuster drugs for certain uh, treatments more so. But vaccines, preventative uh-huh. care is much harder because the problem with the preventative care is it doesn't give you an ongoing stream. I mean, the, the returns are not there in the private system in the same way. Also, because with preventative mm-hmm. care, you want to give it to everybody. So there's only so much you can earn from that. <laughs> I mean, there's uh-huh. a reason why the drug companies set their prices so high, it's because setting it lower doesn't get them as much money. <laughs> <laughs> very that. Keeping it very simple, simple. but no. But the consequence thing. of that is that fewer people have access to it. But we can't have that with right. a vaccine. Everybody's got to have the damn thing. um So right. I, 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 you know, I think this is going to require that big push uh going there. I wonder. This might be for the editing. I, I, I think we've lost Neil again.
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, carry, <laughs> carry on. on. uh
2: So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so so I think I, I you know I think, uh, and the Manhattan Project is right. I mean, the Manhattan Project was a very speculative thing with high upside return. Um, if at at the time, anyway, obviously not for the rest of the world, but at the time, high upside. Return.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, you
2: know, you could end this war. That's pretty good. Or actually, in the in their case of the calculation, not lose it. Uh, in that way. They thought they might lose the war, but right. the Germans might right. get their first. So, but the, this is the same sort of thing that we're facing now. I mean, people warned about it. Bill Gates warned about it, all, all of this. And so how mm-hmm. to say, you know, and, and people come up with these philanthropists. I sometimes get asked this, you know, if you, if you had a billion dollars to spend on anything, what would you spend it on? And, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's hard, you know, I can't think in those terms. But what we're now talking about is if you had half a trillion dollars to spend on something, what would you spend on? And it would be this. <laughs> it would be mm-hmm. this. And if we can mm-hmm. do this, maybe we can handle some of our other problems as well. But let's start with this.
1: <laughs> and, and, Josh, why this, say, versus other problems which are also pressing, like global warming? Is it the intensity of this? acuteness of this threat? Well, I think... That um, leads into the cost-benefit? Yeah,
2: I mean, well, there's this nice, interesting trade-off. If, uh, if we don't do anything about this, we might end up curing co- global warming by getting rid of ourselves. Fix um, <laughs> <laughs> the pension crisis. Oh, many, many, many things. <laughs> exactly. I mean, actually, it is quite interesting. If I were an environmentalist, I would be sitting there now saying, how do we convince people of what is going on outside is the thing that they want. Because in many respects, there's been an, an interesting, you know, we've been locked up and stuff like that and we've stopped consuming a whole lot of things, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, you know, lots of material things, blah, blah, blah. We just stopped doing it. And the question is, is, is the world right now primed nicely to be able to start doing some of that other, you know, maintenance on the house issue, uh, dealing with pandemics yeah. is one thing, but you know, global warming, pollution, cleaning up, etc. Precisely because people maybe feel they don't need the money to spend on their own personal consumption as much. And uh-huh. so I do wonder, uh, you know, I do wonder if, if 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 one of the outcomes of that could be a sort of uh, a sort of uh, softening and are realising that, look, if we're willing to do this... I mean, here, here let me put it this way. If we're willing to uh, depress the economy in order to save our grandparents, why aren't we willing to do the same thing to save our grandchildren? Oh. It seems fairly staggering to me that that wouldn't be the oh. outcome of it. Now, the problem is I don't... I don't know who could communicate that in the you know bring it all together. It would certainly have helped if the if the leader of the, the free world was able to articulate those sorts of cases. Um, <laughs> or, or I, and I don't believe that the I don't believe the, the, that that uh, Joe Biden has it in him either. So, you know, I don't know where that comes mm-hmm. from. But you know, uh-huh. it seems it seems like there is a, this opportunity to start thinking about what was really meant, uh, because this generation and the previous generation hadn't really had a really sucky time of it like this. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the last time when we, the the, the, this, the uh, pandemic of of nineteen eighteen um gave brought about national health insurance to most countries uh, and even whatever there is in the U S came of that as well. Um, uh-huh. you know, that's the sort of thing that comes of it. Uh, there were all manner of things that came in terms of the attitude after world war War two. Um, I know I've had many dinner conversations recently trying to think about, you know, what would it have been like to be in the middle of world war two and not known what the outcome was going to be. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and mm-hmm. and we we in this world this time we kind of feel. I mean, I don't think anyone feels that the outcome's not going to be we get through this. So we don't have that existential thing going on. Um, but you know, it, it, it's still, it's still. There's got to be some moment for reflection there.
1: It's certainly uncertain. Yeah. You know, um, you know, after COVID's been tamed your words Josh you know what the world will look like and it's uh certainly uh would it uh, Angela Merkel call it an orgy of speculation yeah. i mean my my, my
2: concern is that, that people will will just go back to normal and not think about it um that's the concern i, I and i think we have good precedent to think, to think that that might happen um uh but uh, and, and and we don't have the same visceral accounting that occurs, which caused us to go the other way with regard to terrorism. Um, you know, it's almost 20 years since 9-11 and we're still paying the terrorism price all over the place, right? Um, but partly yeah. because no politician uh has the, the guts to risk another event. So that's where you sort of fly the other way. But pandemics and stuff. Well no one's going to know. I mean like I think I think the other thing about World War One and World War II is they happened within a, a generation, within the same mindset. Um, I don't know when the next pandemic is going to come after this one. Uh, on the pro- just sheer probabilities, it's near certain it will. Um, if it came very quickly afterwards, maybe then people would say, well that enough is enough and start getting their act together. But, you know, if it doesn't, which is not a bad thing necessarily, uh, you know, when it comes the next time, it's going to be just worse. So this is the kind of silliness well, that we live some- in,
1: <laughs> that we've been unable to solve yeah. these problems. <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh, there's so much to weigh in the balance. You know, as an economist, I think the intensity and duration of the economic fallout, um, Will change the calculus there too. Yeah, we don't
2: quite, yeah. And we don't really understand that at the moment because uh, when there were uh, recessions previously um, that sort of just happened out of the blue and we had to work out how to restart the economy and businesses had to go and financial systems were were in the crapper, Um, you know, it it was going to take a long time and there were people suffering and didn't quite know when they were going to get back to work. Um, Now, there is some of that now, but we don't actually know the extent of it because we don't know the extent of the 10, 15, 20 percent of people currently officially out of work who really feel they're out of work, (laughs) who really won't as soon as the lockdown goes, go straight back to where they are currently. Now, I think it's not going to be quite like that because I think, you know, there's some industries that are going to be slow going. I don't think a restaurant industry is going to be particularly bubbling and, uh, tourism is, is, wow. is in real trouble. And there's all sorts of ones like that. Um, so uh-huh. there are, are things along those lines, but it, it's not the same, you know, I don't know why this happened. People do understand why it happened. Uh, and they know what the first thing they're going to try and do is go straight back to their original job. And that's, and, and they've probably got no indication that that won't be happening. But we just don't know how easy or hard that will be uh, from this. We just don't know.
1: Yeah. Um, Taking us out even a little farther, you know, Jim Bianco, um, the eponym of Bianco Research, the macro researcher out of Chicago, um, he's speculated that the this will uh, bring about the advent of a new reserve currency, which he believes will be a digital currency. We don't have to <laughs> speculate that far out. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that uh, is quite a, a grand change. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, everybody sort of like picks their
2: own favourite project and sort of says, ah, now's the time for whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I've worked at a digital currency I don't see it.
1: Right. I don't see it. <laughs> right. right, see it. right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess the first issue is the yeah, the the long predicted change in the reserve currency. Yeah, yeah. No. Not, I, mean, I don't think that's been it. the whole constraint yeah. here. I don't think mm-hmm. you know,
2: I don't think the lack of a reserve currency Blah. I mean, we haven't had wild fluctuations in currencies actually during this crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, we have wild fluctuations in the stock market, which by the way, still doesn't know what the hell it's doing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> None yeah. of that makes any yeah. sense as it is. Uh, um, but, um,
1: it's a big washout, yeah, And test. we're having this interesting yeah. thing
2: going on with the oil price. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: which yes,
2: Which is a whole, which yeah. is, which is a, a portend of what will we'll be if we do something about climate change. But, uh,
1: yeah. Well, it, it gives the the uh, starts to your argument about the unpredictability of human nature, and uh, you know, we had a, a demand shock caused by yeah. COVID, and then Saudi Arabia decided to throw on a supply <laughs> shock <laughs> on top of it. Oh, and then so, the and then the know,
2: US effectively joined OPEC. I mean, because essentially yes, the president yes. of the US went and negotiated reductions in oil production. Well, that didn't actually happen, but nonetheless, at least wanted to, which, I mean, let me tell you, my, my, uh, you know, uh, uh, understanding of any U.S. politics over the last 40 years has been
1: not to get oil prices up. (laughs) Well, that was before we became uh, uh, the world's leading Ah, producer. Okay, so that's now. So now we're happy
2: to to, do
1: it. Yeah, but that. That our production, though, is mostly shale oil, and um, that's more expensive and generally harder to start and stop, more expensive than conventional oil. So it's more precarious business to try to reduce or change production. Indeed.
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm getting a a Neil Modi uh, thing saying that that we need to wrap it up and he can't do anything, and so I think it's up to you, Chris. wrap it up and then we have to somehow time. save this so i think he's just sweating there
1: <laughs> yeah my friend neil did he send me a message too yeah i will <laughs> leave my browser open all right so <laughs> well josh any other thoughts on this as, as we close you mentioned you were adding some um, chapters to yeah. this book, which again I thought was pretty thoroughgoing for such a, a, a tightly bound and quickly executed work. Yeah, I think, what, I think there's some things, questions. Are you
2: still trying to answer? Yeah, there's some more things to do. I think I need to think more about inequality, which was the subject of my previous book, um, and I have not oh. done that here. I, I think we're going to have some interesting issues regarding privacy and transparency uh that we will learn about over the next couple of months that i'll i'll hopefully be able to write about uh, you know the the need to communicate clearly to the public what's going on the need to be very transparent um and then when we get to contact tracing you know what are the trade-offs regarding privacy uh so i think that's all coming uh, coming there and so that's what i that's what's on my agenda for the next edition
1: well fascinating you know this has been framed in terms of a war and i guess there are many analogous situations that uh we can compare it to but um yeah i i think coming out of wartime uh, (laughs) you know what economic shocks can we expect yeah what i don't uh, know what
2: post-traumatic stress disorder is going to look like it's kind of different when you're watching the tiger king
1: at home (laughs) <laughs> i'll ask my wife to chime in <laughs> i mean i don't know what's gonna be the first time
2: after t- a few months of seeing someone you you know you knew before like
1: ha, you're not on zoom yeah 3d yeah. well i've been I, you know i lived in china for uh, a while and i've been very fascinated by how they've tried to reopen the economy And uh, just trying to pay attention, even as in an armchair in Pasadena. So how much can I really know? To see the tools they're using, and uh, you know, you they have these uh, uh, four bordered plexiglass screens that they put in between you in restaurants, um, so you can sit in your own cone of silence next to your. Dining partner, which is a it, sort of it, strange there's thing. There's a lot
2: of strange stuff that doesn't make sense. I, I, I do think that someone working out how to do a fashionable face mask will work out. I, I'm, I'm waiting for Johnny Ive
1: to come out with his face mask. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Josh Gans. Really, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm so glad you were able to join us today. And um, please... Uh, everyone who's listening, take time to search out this book, uh, Josh, the comics
2: in the age of COVID-19 published by MIT press available as an ebook
1: right now. Right at your fingertips, everyone, please give it a read. It's really fascinating and thought provoking. Thank you, Josh, again, for Thank joining you. us. I appreciate Thanks.
0: it. The big time stuff that I wish I had, the big time stuff that'll make you mad, the big time stuff, stuff. I like the the big time stuff, I like the big time stuff that I never had.